Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. The word of the Lord. Praise. All right. You ever had a little kid that you love ask you for something and do the wind up? If you've had a little kid ask you for something, you know what the wind up is. It's that like, um, can I uh, have a, you know, or I was really good. I was just thinking that maybe I would like to have if we could possibly. And you're just like, get to it, child. Especially if you really love them. Like, you, you know what's happening. You're, you're, not, you're not a dummy. You know what they're getting to, and you know if they would just come out and ask, you already have an answer ready for them, right? But they feel like they've got to do the wind-up. They feel like it's necessary. And the, the very second my daughter starts saying, can I? I stop her. Just, what do you want? What do you want? And let's just get to it, right? I don't, I don't need the wind-up. And yet, that's what we do with God all the time we feel like we need to wind up for God to hear us like we got to get we got to get psyched up I think the wind up is more for us than it is for God right it's more about like getting us kind of pumped up to make the request of God or come before God if we pray at all we got to do the wind up we got to get ready and God is in heaven like I love you and I already know what you're gonna say like you there is no need for all of this stuff I I already know what you're going to ask me for, and I already know how I'm going to respond. It's already prepared for you. All you got to do is come and talk. That's the theme of our text this week. That's the theme of our sermon this week. We keep it simple. I told you last week, as we we're stepping into this series on prayer, we're going to we're going to approach prayer in three ways: keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. That's right. Prenna's got it. She's. You should preach next week. You're preaching. Um, this week we're going to focus on just keeping it simple. We, we feel like so many times we got to wind up because either we've seen people pray who are so, like, affluent in their language and they're so, like, they, they, use, the, they use the same words over and over and over again. Or, they, or the people pray and they feel like they have to say God constantly. They have to say God's name constantly or you won't hear it. Um, we use all kinds of fillers in our prayers. We, we've, because of the way that we've heard other people pray and we've experienced prayer from other people, we feel like we've got to build up to it and really add a lot in. And when God is in heaven saying, like, there's no need for that. You just don't need it. And so we come to this text today because I think Jesus addresses this directly. Now, the first couple of verses honestly don't really apply to us. I know that's weird to say of the Bible, and it's almost sacrilegious for a pastor to say, but these couple of verses right here almost don't even apply in our context and where we live right now. So let's look at them. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. When was the last time any of y'all prayed to be seen by somebody? We can't even get people to our Monday night prayer meeting, right? Sorry, I love y'all. 
But like most of us in this room are not like making sure that we're standing in a very public space when we pray so that everybody will look at and admire us because those people would look at you and think you're crazy in the world in which we live, in the time in which we live. Now, back in the day that Jesus is talking, um, what he's talking about is at the regular prayer times, especially if you live in Jerusalem, but really if you're in a Jewish community at all, there are three times of daily prayer. There's 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and then the evening prayer. And at these three times, you would pray either the Shema, which is a standard prayer, um, or you would pray the Shema Esre or the Amidah, the daily prayer, the, the 13 blessings, 18 blessings that you would pray daily. Jews today pray this same prayer. Oftentimes, that's what you would pray. But then rabbis would teach their disciples to pray a, a modified version of those things. And so rabbis would teach their disciples to pray. Pharisees would teach their, the people they were leading in the synagogues to pray a certain way or a certain prayer. And if you were really righteous and you were really cool and you were really good with God and you were tight and you wanted everybody to know that, you could make sure that about 9 o'clock when that prayer bell went off or that prayer uh, horn blew, you were standing in just the right spot so everybody could see you. And then, because what was typical during the day is that you would stand and lift your eyes to heaven and raise your hands, you would stand in the most public place you could and you would pray to God, Father, our Father, never my Father, our Father, blessed be your name, Baruch Atah and then you would pray, thank you, Lord, that you have made me a righteous man and not like these Gentiles. Thank you, God, you've made me a righteous man and not like those women, and thank you, God, that you've... And you would pray the blessings to God, thanks to God for all of the good things. And honestly, oftentimes, when you were praying, thank you, God, for making me righteous, you weren't really trying to pray against and over other people. This was a way of saying, God, you make me righteous. Thank you. And that's a, that's a good prayer to pray. It's part of the Amidah. It's part of the daily prayer of the Jewish rhythm of life. These are good prayers to pray. Unfortunately, the person who chooses to pray these as loud as possible, in as public a place as possible, in a culture that really valued that, is making that prayer all about them. So for Jesus, it's not about the content of your prayer. It's about the attitude and posture that you bring to it. And so that's where this might apply to us. Because honestly, who of us is going to like make sure that at just the right time of day, we're standing in the right spot to be seen by the maximum number of people? People would just think you're nuts. And yet we can still come with a posture of prayer, maybe with an attitude of entitlement, Maybe we come with an attitude of doubt. I'm not sure God hears me, so i got to puff up my prayers and make him, make him want to listen to me because God, God doesn't really like me all that much, so i really got to puff it up and make sure that he wants to listen. And so maybe we're not out there trying to like get attention from people and get the praise of people, but maybe we're still coming with the wrong posture of prayer. We're not coming with a heart that says, God, it's you that makes me righteous, and you are my loving Father who longs to hear from me. You are my God who likes me. Anybody in this room feel like God likes them? Let me tell you, it's, it's easy to say God loves you. We live in a world that, that makes a big difference between like and love, right? I love you, but I don't like you right now. God never feels that way about you. Never. God likes you. 
And God likes to hear from you. And there's nothing you could do that would make God more ready to listen to you. Nothing. God is always ready to listen to you. And God is never too busy to stop what he's doing to listen to you. You are not the little child who is interrupting God in the middle of some important work. God is always ready to listen to you because God loves you and God likes you and God wants you and wants to hear from you. And so the posture that we bring to prayer is one of knowing who our God is and that's where Jesus gets to next. So whenever you pray, when you pray, verse 6, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When we pray, we are praying to a father. Now, I don't know what your experience of fathers has been. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are very few people in this room who could have had a worse experience of fathers than I had. And the worst possible examples from negligence and abuse and self-centeredness. I never really had great dads. I love my, I love my biological dad, my, my, the, my dad, I, I love him. We, we get along when we, get, when we are together. Um, but when my parents were extremely young when I was born, he wasn't always present. And then the men my mom married after that, weren't necessarily great dads or stepdads and they weren't good to her and so when I say we pray to a father I know very very well what that can mean to a lot of us who haven't had an experience of a great dad who haven't had that experience of a man who loves us and builds us up and likes us and wants to care for us. Anybody have a dad who you were sure didn't like you? That's a terrible feeling. And I've had that. And that's why I tell you, God likes you and loves you and wants to hear from you. God is a father unlike any father who lives on earth. Maybe you had a great dad. Maybe you had an incredible father. Maybe your father is amazing and blessed with an incredible father-in-law who I love so much. Maybe you had an amazing, wonderful dad. Just know that dad is still not God. <laughs> and so whether you had a terrible dad and you have a hard time thinking of God as father because your experience of dads and fathers on earth has just been awful, and there's no way you would ever want to compare God to that, or whether you had a great dad and you're always comparing God to him, either way, your dad is falling short. God is a father unlike any other. God is a parent unlike any you could possibly imagine. And God wants for you better than any parent ever could. God longs to give you good things and to hear from his children. And so when we pray, we pray to a father. And if you've had a terrible example of a dad or you've had a great example of a dad, 
Either way, our task is to let God define what father means. To let God define what a loving father is for us. He is the standard by which we judge all other fathers. We don't judge him by our standard of fathers. And that's hard to get to. It's a hard place to get to if we had rough experiences with fathers. And that's the necessity of this church family so that we men can be example fathers to those who didn't have great ones. So that we fathers here can be fathers modeled after God the Father and not after the terrible examples in our own lives so that we can help people to redefine what father is. Mothers, the same goes for you. God is a mother unlike any other. Yes, the Bible uses that language of God in in a few places. That word is not crazy as applied to God. And so I want you to know God is the standard for parenthood. So whether you had terrible parents or amazing parents, you let God define what a parent is. And as we follow Jesus together in this family, it is our job, brothers and sisters, to model what good fathering and mothering is according to the standard of our Father in heaven and not the poor examples we've had on earth. God is a father who wants you and who loves you and who you are never annoying or bugging with your requests or with your time or just coming to him in prayer. God wants to hear from you. And when we pray, we pray to God alone. We are not praying for the sake of the people around us. We're praying for them to God, but we're not praying to be seen by them. When we pray, we pray to an audience of one, the Father in heaven. And when we pray, we bring to our Father in heaven all of those things we can't do anything about on this earth. If you are overwhelmed by the state of the world and you are involved in activism or you're involved in justice work or you're involved in trying to help people, you're involved in in trying to address some of these ridiculous, difficult situations of the world, if you're involved in those things but you're not praying, you are shooting yourself in the foot. The situation of the world, the circumstances of the world, the difficulties of the world all too easily overwhelm us. I will tell you who is not overwhelmed by them, our Father in heaven. And so we go to our Father in secret or in quiet or alone, praying to the Father who loves us, who likes us, who wants to hear from us, bringing to our Father all of those things we can't address in our daily life, all of those things that would overwhelm us, all of those things that would shut us down. And we continue to work, we continue to do the hard work of addressing the difficult circumstances of life, but we do so knowing that ultimately those circumstances are in the hands of our loving Father. This is why we pray. We pray to our audience of one loving Father in heaven who longs to give to us who longs to care for us, who longs to hear from us, who longs to embrace us. And then Jesus goes on. But when when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. When we pray to our loving Father, we are praying to a Father who already knows all the circumstances of our life, knows what we're going to ask, and knows what the answer is. He's got it all in hand. 
And you might say, well, then why pray at all? We pray for a relationship. You see, the Gentiles that Jesus is talking about here, Gentiles are just non-Jewish people, right? These Gentiles are pagans. They believe in many gods. They follow many gods, and they, they go to different temples to pray, or they might have different practices of prayer. But one of the normal practices of prayer among these pagans was to use the name of the deity they were trying to talk to as much as possible. Because the, using the name of the deity they were praying to might make that deity more likely to listen it's like old fairy tales, or even like New Age thought, where knowing the true name of something gives you power over it. It's like the story of Rumpelstiltskin, right? You know the story of Rumpelstiltskin, this little, this little fairy imp who shows up because this, uh, this miller has promised the king, he wants his daughter to marry the king, he wants his daughter to be the, the queen of the land. So he, he tells the king, hey, my daughter can turn straw into gold. And so the king takes the daughter and is like, I'm going to test this. You've got to show me. And he locks her up in a room with a whole bunch of straw and a spinning wheel. And he's like, spin gold, girl. Come on, do it. And then this little fairy shows up and is like, hey, girl, I can do it if you'll just give me your firstborn child. And the girl has to learn the little imp's name to get power over him so that she can break this agreement so he doesn't have to take her firstborn child. Rumpelstiltskin. She's got to guess the name Rumpelstiltskin. Well, that builds on this, this very, very ancient idea that to know the true name of something gives you power over it. And it was no different in the pagan world. And so these Gentiles would be praying to their deities, and if they invoke the name of the deity enough, then they can gain power over it and influence over the deity and get what they want, get what they're asking for. And now, this isn't always greedy and selfish, right? If you're praying to the storm god because... There's a drought in the land, and you're looking for rain to fall on your crops. Then you want to know the name of that storm god so you can get the rain for your crops to grow. Right? This isn't just about getting whatever baubles you want or getting gold. It's about making the world work the way that it should. And what Jesus is saying here is that, look, all that, all that stuff, like you can't have power over your father. You can, you can try and use his name all you want, and it will not give you any more power over him. The importance of understanding God as Father is to understand that God is not some aloof, divine being out there that you can somehow gain power over by acting in a certain way or using the right magic formula. There's no magic spell to prayer. There's no specific word order you need to use so that God will hear you. All of that is power over God. All of that is trying to gain power over God. This is the situation with a lot of like word of faith and health and wealth gospel people today. If you have the right faith and use the right prayers in the right order and you present yourself in the right way, then God is obligated to give you power, which is how they define faith, to get whatever you want. And if you don't have what you want, then you didn't do the magic right. That's what it comes down to. That is not how God works. That is power over God. And we don't have power over our Father. It doesn't matter how many times you babble his name. It doesn't matter how many words we lift up. And so what Jesus is saying here is keep it simple. Talk to your Father as you would a father with the respect due to a father and with the intimacy expected 
of a father. We all know in our families that sometimes the least respectful thing we can do is try to hide what's really going on. We hide what we're really going on with with our parents or with respected elders because we don't want to disrespect them. And yet what they really want is us to just be real. And so there is an intimacy with God that allows us to be real and to be simple and to just lay it out on the table. And that that's the most respectful thing we can do with our Father. So we go before our Father in heaven and we don't pile words on words. We come and we simply speak to our Father. And we trust Him and we ask for what we need. And our Father who is in heaven hears what we need and has already answered us. He's already working on our behalf. Remember, I talked about last week, God is already talking about you. The fact that Jesus is our intercessor and the Holy Spirit is praying for us means that God is already having a conversation about us. You're already on God's mind before you ever come to him. You're entering into a conversation. And because of all this, we can keep it simple. We come to God with our requests. We come to God with our cares and concerns. We come to God with our worship and our praise. We come to God, our Father, in intimacy to know him better. And we don't feel like we have to manipulate God. We don't have to feel like we, we're building up power over God by using the right words and the right stuff. We come to prayer not as a magic spell, but as a conversation with a loving Father who likes us, wants to hear from us, and longs to answer us, and already knows all the circumstances of our lives. And for this reason, we can keep it simple. There's one more reason we don't try to gain power over God by using his name. It's because throughout the scriptures, we don't name God. God has a name. We learn God's name. We're told God's name. And then our God names us. Our God calls us by name. Not to gain power over us, like the fairies in the fairy tales, or the pagan deities that the Gentiles worshipped. God names us as his children to call out within us our true natures, to call out within us everything that he sees within us. Think about when God renames Jacob into Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Or when Jesus renames Simon into Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. Revelation says that to those who endure to the end, I will give you a white stone with a new name. We serve a God who is naming us all the time. Calling us by our true name. Calling us by the person he's creating within us. Calling us by the person that he is moving us toward, turning us into. We serve a God who names us, not to have power over us or to manipulate us like the gods of old and by the fairies of legend, but we serve a God who names us to empower us to become more and more like Jesus and to live into the person that he longs for us to be. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we pray to a Father who has already dealt with our sin, who knows all our circumstances, and who sees more clearly in us who we are becoming than we can possibly imagine. God knows who he's called you to be and is already seeing who you will be in Jesus Christ. 
and calling you by that name when you enter into communion with him. And if this is the God who lives, if the God I've described here is the God who actually is, the Father in heaven who longs to love you, who is calling you by a name that Jesus has given you, if the God who lives is the one who sees all of the goodness and potential in you that you could be through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit working in you, then we don't have to bring any pretense to our prayer. We don't have to work toward anything in our prayer. It is already done for us. We only have to come and talk to our Father at all times throughout the day because there's nothing too small that God doesn't care about it in your life. He wants to hear about every detail of your life. He wants to know everything about you. Yeah, God's present. Like I said last week, God's already there with you, but he still wants to hear from you your experience of his world, your experience of life with him. And so we have the invitation today to simply come and to come simply before God. And like the old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, because I know it is through the faithful work of Jesus Christ on the cross, crucifying my sin, in his resurrection, declaring victory and life for me, and in his ongoing intercession for me at the right hand of God the Father as he is praying for me eternally. I know all is already handled by my good Father. And so he is longing to welcome you into his presence. And with that, I want to invite us to pray. And I'm going to take a moment. There's going to be a moment of just silence for you to sit before your Father, to know who God is, to come simply bearing all that you are before Him and just knowing that you are loved and reciprocating that love back to heaven. So we're just going to sit for a moment and in whatever way you feel like you need to talk to God right now, you can take this time and just talk with your Father, whether it's confession or praise or petition or just being there with God. Take this minute. God, as we come to you now, I pray that you would impress upon the mind and heart of everyone here their belovedness. God, let us know that we are beloved by a Father who went to the ends of the earth, hung upon a cross, was buried and rose again 
and now intercedes for us eternally. Let us know who we are to our faithful Savior, our King, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And on that basis, to come before you, to come before you naked, fully exposed, knowing that we are seen for all that we are, for all the beauty and all the blemishes that we bring, and to know that over our sin-stained, broken souls, you speak love. And you speak healing. And you speak wholeness through the work of Jesus Christ. God, would you implant within us a greater love for you now than we have known before? And as we sit in our belovedness, would you give us a greater sense of our calling than we've ever known before? Would you, Lord, equip and empower us to speak this good news, this belovedness in Jesus Christ, this gospel of the Savior of the world in every circumstance of our lives? And Lord, to go with a great will to the lost and to the broken and to those who have never experienced the belovedness of Jesus Christ, those who have never experienced the belovedness of a father who longs to be with them and who, were, when they were his enemies, sent his son to die for them. Would you give us a great burden for those who do not yet know this good news and have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ so that they too, Lord, can become part of the beloved community? And we can see the kingdom of heaven brought near and made real right here in southeast Denver among our friends and our family and our community so that we would be a bright beacon of hope for a world that is longing for a God who will speak love over them. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.